Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm really excited to bring you the creator of the really interesting smart lists app, SpenStack, Jordan Morgan. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Charlie. Excited to be here. Yeah, I got a fellow Missourian. Actually, this is kind of on accident, but I ended up with uh, with two two Missouri uh, residents here in the first like eight episodes of the show. Uh, <laughs> it's a Missouri blowout. Yeah, well, you know, we're so overrepresented in the iOS community that it's hard to avoid. <laughs> I know that there's just, there's millions of us out there from Missouri. I right. mean, you, you might say uh, we are the uh, iOS cent- epicenter yeah, of, really. of America. Yeah, I assume in the next couple of years, WWDC will be hosted in Columbia. <laughs> right. Well, hey, we've got a lot, we got a lot going for us here in Southwest Missouri. We, uh, we invented cashew chicken. Uh, <laughs> Brad Pitt went to high school here. So, I mean, th- we got, we got some stuff going our way. Yeah. You just listed the, the whole list. <laughs> I was going to say, that's it. That's it. I hope he doesn't ask for a third thing because yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be reaching. Yeah. Well, and so you're from the Springfield, Missouri area. This is in the United States, if you don't know what Missouri is, uh, which I would totally forgive you for. Um, (laughs) And uh, I'm from St. Louis, but I went to college uh, down in that area. And then my sister has recently moved to that area. So so I have a little bit of a vendetta against that city because they they stole my sister. So apologies if I get a little salty. We, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. That's all right. I'll, I'll accept your salt. Uh, it's yeah. such a small world too, because I saw when you tweeted like, oh, my shirt or my sister got me this cool shirt. I was like, dude, that's like right by where I work. Like yeah. I walk by that every single day. Uh, all right. So uh, to kick off the show, we like to, uh, to start things with a little icebreaker question from the audience. And today's is from Matt Van Ormer. And he asks, what do you prefer to read books on? Do you prefer ebooks or physical? And he didn't ask this, but I'll, I'll throw in their audiobooks as another option as well. Oh, wow. It's a great question because I've got some, uh, some hashtag thoughts on this. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. We're just so, going to cancel the rest of the show and it's just going to be about, uh, book preferences. This is all about, uh, yeah, this is about books. Sorry, yeah. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I, first of all, I love, uh, I'm kind of obsessed with like retaining information when I read books. So like I have this template set up in the journal app day one to like, uh, do like a, a, a kind of self book review. Um, if you will, after every time I read a book, like I, I have this series shortcut to like pull all the highlights that I liked out and put it in a section and then like, Holy cow. you know, all the things that I thought were great about it. So that said, I almost always read on, uh, on a Kindle and we have this perkit buffer where, you know, we, we can get all the books we want. So, you know, I'm always like, you know, requesting books and reading those. And, uh, but I just tried my first audiobook, and I don't know how I'm, I'm conflicted, Charlie, because I can't get the highlights out. Like, how do you highlight yep. an audiobook, right? Uh, so that's, that's the big debate I'm having internally right now is I, I retain the information well. I like it. Uh, I go through the books faster, but it's like, how do I get all that stuff that I liked about it down? So I'm so like, you know, overthinking this that I think I'm going to request the, uh, Kindle version of the last audiobook I heard just so I can go through and get the highlights and, and put those over to day one. So, uh, if there is an app out there, because, uh, you know, there's an app for that, right, uh, that can extract, like, a good way to, to get highlights. Like, if I could just say, like, hey, Siri, like, 
record the last 10 seconds or something like that. That would be my dream setup. Uh, so right now I've got to go Kindle if I got to put a, a line in the sand. Uh, but I enjoy the experience of listening, but I just, I just can't get all the good stuff out of it. It's just gone forever in my mind. So I got, I got to go traditional and I never do print. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's out of the question already. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I haven't actually tried this, but for some reason in my head, there's a thing with, if you're using audible and a Kindle, what is it? Whisper sync. Is there like Kindle syncing between all their platforms? I thought there was something in between audible audiobooks and eBooks as well somehow, but I, maybe I'm imagining that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like I, so I bought my first, uh, audiobook on iBooks. So it's, uh, I, I don't know. It's so it's kind of like, you know, typical a- Apple fashion kind of walled off there. Right. And I don't know, like some people have mentioned that if you use Castro, like it's sideloading stuff, you can somehow kind of get it out of there somehow. Uh, but I just wish it was like an easy way to do it. Um, and there doesn't seem to be uh, up to this point because that kind of seems like a, a core part of reading books, right? It's like you highlight stuff and you go back and you revisit it, uh, but there's no solution for it yet. So if someone's sitting out there waiting for the next million dollar app idea, uh, I will be your first customer for sure. Yeah. And if you are that person and you're like screaming at uh, your your <laughs> podcast player right now, uh, definitely uh, tweet us at launch.fm or you can tweet Jordan at, what is it? At Jordan Morgan 10. You, you nailed it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Let us know because I, I'm definitely interested in that too, because I, for whatever reason, I actually weirdly struggle listening to uh, fiction through audiobook forms, but I like nonfiction through it. But it's the same kind of thing where there's no way to sort of, for me, it's not so much like highlighting. It's just having like a reference point. If I want to go find something later, I don't want to have to, you know, it's impossible to find it in in an audiobook, right? But it'd be nice if I could go like do like a search for the term inside of the ebook version or something like that. Yeah. Which I guess you could do. You just have to buy both. Yeah. Like the usability factor of like finding what you want kind of keeps going down and down as, <laughs> you know, uh, books become more digital. So like, you know, if you have the physical book, like, you can just kind of thumb through it. Oh, I don't know about that though. Cause like the Kindle version is way more searchable than a physical book. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's true. Uh, I was thinking of like, in terms of just kind of casually flipping through. Um, but then I guess once you get to the audio version, you really, I guess you can skip chapters, um, here and there, but yeah, it's just like, there, there's no perfect spot for books yet. It really bothers me because I love reading. So I don't know, maybe that perfect solution will present itself. I'm sure there's some like, uh, hacky way you can, can accomplish this today i'm sure someone listening is like oh you just gotta do (laughs) you know yeah you just gotta run it through some insane shortcut that uh will transcribe (laughs) the entire book audio so that you can then search it and (laughs) exactly actually i would love to see if somebody's doing that that would be amazing yeah i don't know i'm part of uh club max story so i might have to tweet vatici and see if he's if he's solved this problem already there you go (laughs) all right well uh so that was that was the icebreaker that was a pretty good one i thought oh yeah Uh, thank you matt so uh, if you have a question that you'd like me to ask a guest on the show, you can tweet me at launch.fm with the hashtag icebreaker, and uh, I might ask a future guest your question on the show. So Jordan, before we get into your app, SpinStack, which I really am excited to talk about, um, I want to get like everyone a primer on who you are. So the kind of quick questions I ask everybody is, where are you from? Which you kind of already discussed. Uh, do you have a formal education related to your work? And what was your career like pre-SpinStack? Yeah, so totally. Where where I'm from, I, like you said, I've been in Missouri, Southwest Missouri, since since kindergarten. Uh, before that, uh, my dad was in the military, so we kind of like just bounced around all over the place. Uh, 
But yeah, so I've been in uh, this area ever since I was a little guy. Um, don't plan on moving. I love it. Uh, but yeah, as far as formal education, I, I do have an associate of what, what are we calling it? Associate of arts and in computer information science. It's like, I don't know. It's like 17 words. I can't ever get it right, <laughs> but, um, it was actually kind of a funny journey. Uh, I always did well in school academically, but once I got to college, I, <laughs> I spent four and a half, close to five years without a major declared. I just kept taking classes and never took a semester off because I didn't want to, I knew if I took a semester off, I probably, you know, would kind of fizzle out. Never come back. Exactly. Yeah. So I went to the career counselor one day and I was like, I, I really need to figure out what I want to do with my life. So no pressure. Can you help me figure that out? <laughs> and so we kind of went through options and, you know, as good career counselors do, ask me like what I was interested in. And at this time, uh, 2010, there was this uh, kind of WYSIWYG game engine I was using that I really liked. And it was actually how I made my first iOS app. Uh, it's still around today. It's called Game Salad. And so, you know, I kind of casually mentioned that. And that's how we got on the topic of programming. And uh, I was really intimidated by it at first, actually. Like I almost I, I've never been that great at math. And of course, like the stereotype goes, I thought every software engineer was like a math genius. Yeah, it's all it's all trigonometry and calculating volumes of donuts. That's all we do. Totally. Yeah. Tangents <laughs> and uh, cosines and all, all the good stuff. So, yeah. Uh, but it, it's funny. I joke now. I'm like, you actually don't have to be that great at math. You just have to set up the problem and then the compiler solves it for you. So <laughs> programming's great. <laughs> yeah, the computer is good at the math part. Exactly. You just have to ask the right questions. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I did that. Um, and it, it was a two-year uh, program. It was really good, though, because it was hands-on, right? There was not a lot of theory. It was, you're just going to be building stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I, I excelled in that pretty well. And that leads me to the uh, third part of your question, which is where I got my first uh, kind of first stop of my career, which was at a, a healthcare company. And uh, yeah, what happened there was actually kind of interesting. They they're all dot net. Like, I'm sure you probably know this. It's even more pervasive in Southwest Missouri than I think St. Louis. But yes, everyone is. <laughs> is like dot net Microsoft around here. Right. Like, I feel like iOS is just now kind of coming on in the past few years. Uh, so yeah, I started there and that was the only place I found that had anything to do with iOS. And, you know, I told them, Hey, I'm super interested in iOS. This is what I want to do. And they're like, Oh, cool. Well, we have an iOS app and you can do some of that. So, uh, spent about two and a half years there. Um, and I got to do iOS probably like half the time. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so much so that I was like, I don't want to really mess with <laughs> this .NET <laughs> stuff anymore. I just want to do iOS. And so I kind of like set down a list of like parameters of if I leave this job, like it's got to be for this. Uh, and as we've kind of talked about, I know like before on, on Twitter, like the only job prospects around Missouri is like, it, it, there's some in St. Louis for sure, but like remote is increasingly like one of the best ways to become a full-time iOS developer. Uh, and that's, that's where I ended up today at Buffer, a uh, full-time iOS developer uh, remote. So that is the condensed uh, abridged version of where I'm from and my education and my professional background, I suppose. I love hearing like those sort of origin stories that involve those sort of weird little game engine kind of things because there's a lot of them and it makes mm -hmm. me really excited every time i see one of those things like a couple of years ago nintendo came out with like a mario maker game where you can sort of I make your it. own levels yeah like i have a, like my kids are a little too young still for that but although one of them might be old enough now but uh but like whenever that came out i had a couple friends at work who had kids that would like they were like getting obsessed with it and they're watching all these youtube videos and maybe even potentially sort of like 
they were like complaining about their kid being too into it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like they're, they're like learning how to program basically because programming is just yeah, watching tutorials and Googling how to solve some sort of problem that you need to do. Yeah. I mean, we might as well put them on payroll. That's what we do all day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like it's, I don't know, people that make that kind of stuff, I feel like they're inadvertently or, or on purpose. I'm not sure. Like, helping train like the future of the software development practice <laughs> yeah i mean it's like the same idea with playgrounds in a way right like i oh, even yeah, showed yeah. that to my wife jansen and you know she was kind of getting into it and i was like this is this is how i became a programmer because game style was the same thing i mean it's programming it's just without the syntax it was like if the user clicks the mouse then make you know your little actor move to the right or whatever so uh you know it's like kind of just a really gentle introduction without you even realizing it uh you're slowly morphing into a programmer i think when you do all those fun little WYSIWYG game engines or mario maker or whatever it is yeah like for me it was the uh, ti-83 calculator which (laughs) we were literally writing basic like ti basic or whatever that language is called but we none of us knew it was programming like we had (laughs) <laughs> that didn't even cross our minds that that was what it was. It wasn't until I showed my dad once, like, you know, I was making the matrix letters come down or something. Yes. And uh, he's like, whoa, this is a this is a go-to. And, like, you got a loop over here, and this is an if statement. You're doing what I do, because he's a Java programmer. And oh, I was that's like, awesome. Wait, what? It, you know, like, those, there was never a connection in my mind that this was programming. And it because it's just fun, and you're just trying to make this screen do a thing that you want it to do. Oh, yeah. And those, I feel like those jumps are, they're really exciting to see people go through. They are. The way I've always described it, it's like adult Legos. Like when I was yeah. little, I I mean, still, uh, I love Legos. I play with them with my kids all the time and also step on them in the midnight hours and yell obscenities <laughs> in my head because it hurts. Uh, but it's the same thing, right? Like you get the thrill of like creating something and seeing it come together. Uh, that's kind of like how I've always felt like programming is like you kind of have this idea of where you want to go or what you want this thing to be. And you slowly kind of put all the pieces together and, and then at the end you have something. So you get like that, that, you know, that rush of creativity and creation kind of all packaged together in programming, I feel like, which is why I think so many people are drawn to it. So speaking of having an idea and then slowly uh, piecing it together and having something at the end, <laughs> uh, let's talk about your app Spenstack. So this came out uh, last year in july right i think that's right yeah it was shortly after wwdc after all my friends finally gave me enough trash that i didn't release it so you know i had to (laughs) so so i'll let you uh kind of give the pitch because i know i'm not going to do it justice yeah no problem so it's funny you say that because how i've seen media outlets cover it is kind of like made the pitch better than i (laughs) yeah yeah. so i've kind of been stealing what they say about it turns Uh, out those guys are very good at writing and communicating ideas they know what they're doing right yeah Yeah, it's almost (laughs) like they get paid for it and yeah um but anyways yeah so the elevator pitch is like a spin stack is a way to make a list where you want to associate monetary values to the items um and it turns out there's a lot of use cases for that so uh for me the backstory slash origin story is my wife and I, like we, we budget almost all in cash. And when I would go to the grocery store, it was really hard to stay within the budget that we had. And, uh, there's so many reasons for why that is right. So if you, if you're not in the United States, uh, you may not know that sales tax isn't applied until you go and pay for the stuff. So like there's that aspect of it. So I was like, okay, I'll build an app that, you know, tracks the sales tax and puts it in there. Um, and then there's the others, all these other little nuances, like, 
there could be a discount. It could be a fractional discount or a dollar amount. Uh, you could price things by weight or you could have multiple quantities of them. And so I was like, this is the app like that I want to make. I want to solve that problem. And so for me, one of the biggest use cases has always been like grocery shopping. And it's funny because almost nobody that I see that, that bought the app uses it for that. They use it for like <laughs> general lists. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, that they want to just keep track of. So like home remodels or budgeting for vacation, uh, planning birthday parties, like anything where you're like, all right, I need to buy some stuff and I want to know how much it's going to cost. Yeah. I saw your wife wrote like a post about do, using it for planning Christmas gifts. And that, that was when it like clicked for me as a thing that I could use. Yeah, totally. And that, that was a perfect use case. So, uh, you know, we shared the list together and we got all the, uh, you know, live edits and stuff. And we just kind of planned all our entire Christmas that way. Um, so life has all these little situations where you just want to know how much stuff is going to cost. And that's really what I I built it for. Um, and then what it's being used for kind of spans the map. Uh, some people use it for full on like budgeting and want like to hook up their bank account. You know, they go really like far into that aspect of it. And some people are just a little bit more casual. Like I am like, oh, there's just a few things that I need to add up. You know, I use it like a few times a month and that that works for me. Um, so that's like been its greatest strength and, and weakness in a way. It's kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing, which has made it yeah, a yeah. little bit difficult to like lean into a product direction because everyone uses it differently. Um, but yeah, the elevator pitch is I got some stuff. I want to know how much it costs. So that's what SpinStack would do for you. So like I kind of joked about earlier and you joked about uh, this was a extremely long process to build this app, right? <laughs> yes. So like, oh, yeah. Can you kind of talk through? like why it took so long? What did it make sense that it took so long? Like, would you do it the same again? Or was there some sort of bumps along the way or big breaks or something? Yeah. You know, this is a really good question. Um, and I get asked this quite a bit and <laughs> yeah. the, and, and, and at, at my own expense, cause I always joke about it too. Cause I, I, you know, I just think it's funny, but, uh, the, the, to preface it, like it all comes back to like what your goals are with the project. And for me, the goal was I did want to make money on it, right? Because I, for me, I don't, I'm not motivated to keep working on something if no one's going to like buy it. I found that out like really early on in my career. So I knew I did want to make money, but it wasn't like the main factor. Uh, my main factor was like to, to solve my own problem. But even more than that, like I wanted to make an, an app that like I was really, really, really proud of, like, uh, that just felt well built and well designed and was like a good model of like what a good iOS app should look and feel like. Um, so I placed that over pretty much anything else. Um, and so that is the short story of like why it took so long. Um, but the longer story is I, I have this post called, can you learn design? And if you look at it, you'll see that the first version of spin stack that I released in like, I don't know, 2012 or 13 or something like that. The design was real bad. <laughs> like, you know, objectively bad, like really bright colors that clash. The contrast was weird. There was these like hidden gestures. Like, you know, I would find a new project on GitHub that I thought was cool and just kind of shove it in there just because it was neat, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, but it was a really good lesson because I learned like no one's going to really use this if the design isn't good. So you did, you did release that version. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was oh, out okay. in the app store for sure. And I still, I've been wanting to do like a conference talk on it one time because I still have it in GitHub so I can boot it up. And, you know, I've got this weird, like, kind of walk through that has like these cartoon vector graphics of like a house in a sky. I have no <laughs> idea why, <laughs> but, and it like kind of pans, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't think of it, but like it kind of pans with two, uh, backgrounds, like on top of each other as it like, Oh, parallax. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Parallax. Um, but, but yeah, so 
I just spent so much time trying to like dig up apps that were really well done. And along that journey, I just kind of resigned to my, to the thought that like Apple really knows what they're doing with, with apps, obviously. Right. It sounds like kind of a, a weird statement, but there are people who <laughs> vehemently disagree with that since the <laughs> yeah. iOS seven redesign. We won't, we won't open up that can of worms. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just say my piece on it is that Apple's the one that it's like handing out the awards and like making choices. So I'm going to, I'm going to listen to what they're saying. And so I read the uh, human interface guideline uh, from top to bottom, like literally from the first you know page to the end. And I do that every year now. Uh, and I just looked at apps that were doing it really well and just spent so much time learning about design. So uh, I would say most of that was designing it and making it feel right. And yeah, I mean, it ended up looking a lot better <laughs> than it did before. Um, but that that's where all the time came from. And of course, at, you know, as the years goes go on, you become a better programmer and you want to clean things up and refactor it just because it feels like you're making progress, even though it's not really doing anything. You just feel, oh, I'm making some progress because I rewrote the same thing 15 yeah, times. Exactly. Well, uh, I, so I kind of got into that, too. And yeah, that was what I was going to ask is like, I think uh, especially people listening to the show probably can really relate to the idea of having a project that you start and then it sort of gets into this uh lull where you're working on it constantly but you're not really necessarily like it doesn't feel like the end uh date is ever getting closer and eventually mm-hmm. there's a point where you realize i'm just going to keep working on this but it's never actually going to get a, get across the finish line so like where where did things change for you where it went from this thing that was just sort of this uh you know you're backyard uh, playground that you've been building for 10 years or something into a thing that you were actually going to release into the world. Was there like a point where you suddenly decided I'm going to finish this up and I'm going to do the last minute polish and actually put together press releases and all that stuff? Or were you really on a like multi-year plan and you just sort of finished that out? Yeah. So the short answer to that is I, after WWDC, uh, yeah, it would have been last year, uh, 20, uh, 2019, I was talking to, uh, so my coworker, Andy is, he's always been giving me a hard time about like, you know, not shipping it. Cause if, <laughs> if you follow him on Twitter, he ships like a side project, like every weekend it's, it's crazy. Uh, he's got a million side projects. Um, but he's like, you know, you need to ship it and figure out, you know, what's working, what's not working. And I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever I might, I just really want to make like a great app. Um, and then, uh, when I was having lunch, uh, with, uh, my friend Dave, uh, who runs iOS dev weekly, you know, he, w- we were kind of joking about it and I kept showing him like these new enhancements and changes that I made. And, you know, I had a lab at, uh, WWC, a design lab with some of the, uh, Apple designers and they're like, Oh yeah, this looks really good. And like, I got encouraging feedback on it. Uh, but Dave was just kept saying like, yeah, but have you shipped it yet? I was like, no, but it looks cool. Doesn't it? He's like, yeah, but it does not matter if no one besides you or your wife ever sees it. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's a great point. So what I did is I finally, after WWDC, I got home and then in the turning point was like, I wanted to get everything with iOS 13 in, but I knew that I would just keep doing that annually over and over after every w after every wwdc so that's where i put the uh the proverbial foot down and said all right i'm gonna ship this like in a month and that's what i ended up doing i just <laughs> it's funny because i just kind of shipped it one day you know like without much of thought i was just like all right i just need to get it out uh, <laughs> i'm just hitting the button the, just hitting the button i made the classic mistake i told like the press like a week before <laughs> that it was going out you know uh, yeah that was that was one question i had is like what kind of marketing and everything did you do? It sounds like you gave yourself a month uh, 
but it sounds like the app was already in a pretty good state at that point as far as development goes. Yeah. Oh, no, it was in a really good state. Like, uh, so at one of our work retreats, uh, our CEO at Buffer, Joel, is he loves talking about side projects. So, you know, I had a little sit down with him. And one thing that he said that resonated was like, Jordan, the version of SpinStack that you have is like version three, like it's full featured, like it's polished, <laughs> you know, he's, and this was a recurring theme. I, uh, anybody I talked to about it said like, you just need to ship it at this point. Like you've worked on it for years. It's, it's time to let it <laughs> go into the world and, uh, you know, flutter its wings. Um, so the, the marketing is like probably the thing I messed up the most, uh, mostly around timing, right? Because you want to give the press, I would say like a month, at least a month heads up so they can get the beta build. They can form some thoughts and opinions on it. Um, you know, they can use it. Um, you can have a beta period, let people try it out. Um, and, and actually, I think this is something you did really, really well with dark noise. Uh, something I definitely took notes on, on kind of like your timeline, because, you know, you talked about it for a while. I'm sure, you know, the press had it and, uh, that gives everyone like a nice introduction to, to what you're building. Well, I, I have to say, uh, your post whenever you released, uh, which was when I was sort of in the throes of, of working on dark noise, your post ended with the thing I messed up on is I didn't give the press enough uh, time before releasing it and i was like oh wait a minute i'm planning on releasing this soon and that was that literally that exact like sentence was when i started figuring out press stuff so your your post talking (laughs) about this is the reason that i did all that that's so good let let my uh mistakes and turmoil (laughs) of the past save you some headache so yeah you know it's funny and because uh you know i have so many posts about like what a best-in-class app is and stuff and like internally i didn't want to release finstack until i had everything on that list done um and so (laughs) if you've seen the list it would have taken me like at least another year to do that um and that's like the state in my mind that i wanted to ship it in you know i was gonna be like this is this is like you know my peak right here this is my crown jewel it's perfect it's just how i imagined it uh but even for someone like me who's in that i realized like that's not gonna work like i've got to get it out and then work towards that best in class checklist yeah and like if if you guys don't know what he's talking about, he has, he has a post on his uh, blog that I'll link to in the show notes that it literally is a giant checklist broken up into different sections of what, this is just what you consider to be a best in class app, right? Right. Yeah. And this is based on like, and you sort of lay it out in the post. It's kind of based on what you consider your North star apps, like the apps that you aspire to sort of be slash Apple apps themselves. And it goes from like accessibility to design to, a bunch of other little like vectors, but it's, it's very big. (laughs) Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And it, and really no app can like ship in that state. You know, there's so many things like, uh, like little things like, you know, we're, we're kind of in that, uh, bubble of kind of knowing what the press likes. Uh, and what I mean by that is like, I didn't want to send it to Mac stories until like I had Siri shortcuts. Right. Cause like, yeah, I know that, uh, Federico loves shortcuts. Like that's his thing. Uh, and he loves the iPad app. So I, you know, I wanted to have full keyboard navigation in there, but it, even for someone like I'm a huge proponent of like taking all the time you want on your indie apps. I, it, for me, I even got to the point where I was like, all right, this is, <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. Like I have to get it out the door. <laughs> um, but I will say one thing that went really well marketing wise was, and I've said this over and over uh, to anyone that'll listen, is like just kind of telling your story about why you made the app that you made. Um, and it's funny because I just kind of threw a post together um, and it took like, I don't know, I spent like a day on it, but it was just, it was just real talk. Like, Hey, it's kind of funny between my, me and my wife, we've 
been working on spin stack through like each child delivery. And I <laughs> realized that I still had a picture of me in the hospital through each of uh, my kids being born of me working on spin stack. So I was like, yeah, hey, that's kind of like a fun human angle to, to you know, throw at it. Uh, but I also made sure to answer like, what is spin stack and like, why would someone want to use it? Uh, but but wow, that like really did well for me. And it, it's one of those things like you never know like what's going to resonate with people. And I think when you uh, kind of just real in a way, and I know that's like such a stereotypical thing to say, but if you just kind of humanize, that's a better way to say it. If you just kind of humanize who you are and what you're doing and why you built what you built, it makes it much more relatable to people. Um, and that I think introduced a lot of people to spin stack, uh, and definitely like helped me out a ton. So that's one piece of advice I always tell everybody is like really kind of humanize the story behind why you made what you made. And, uh, in within that, you can sneak in your elevator pitch for the app and, you know, people don't even really <laughs> realize they're being sold to at that point because it's not really a sales pitch. It's kind of an origin story, right? And people, people love origin stories. Yeah. It's, it's why like, you know, movies with like sort of, uh, well-known directors or, or companies like, like Tesla or something where, you know, it's, a, it's a little bit disingenuous, but we all think of them as being run or built by this kind of singular person and singular vision. And that person usually is very good at telling their sort of story. And we all know the story of, you know, Tesla and how Elon Musk, you know, figured all this stuff out or had these visions or whatever. And in those cases, you know, we know in the back of our heads that there's this giant, you know, machine of a business behind it and all these other people. But the reason we sort of latch onto those is because of this sort of human element of this one person. And one of the things that indies have an advantage of is it's not disingenuous. It's completely accurate to say that this is a very personal story and it's this one person and you can just say it. You don't need a marketing team because, uh, because it's just kind of the truth. And probably are oftentimes a lot of people will completely resonate with that because they're also people. And especially in our case with the iOS community, that's very sort of tight knit, especially on Twitter. Uh, those people at the very least will resonate with it because a lot of times, at least in your case, I didn't know who you were before Spence that came out. And I started devouring everything that you made after that, because it was like, this guy is going through the same thing. I am granted <laughs> a lot better and over a longer period of time, but that that type of thing like made me extremely interested in your story and your product and i think that probably relates to lots of other people in the sort of the same vein yeah i know that that's like one of the best things about the ios community is i feel like everyone really wants to share a lot and they're eager to share and i think that's really i think that's a good thing because it kind of levels the playing field and makes other people feel like oh this is you know this is something i can do too and then you kind of learn uh, little bits and pieces from everyone else's experience, you know, like, uh, in, in my case, you kind of like read the part where it's like, Oh, I should reach out to the press. Uh, and, and in your case, you know, I, I jotted down like notes from your launch too, that, that made it successful and like, Oh yeah, that's something I can use for, for my next product. So I feel like it just kind of is like a snowball effect of all of us just kind of putting out these things that worked. And then it kind of hopefully will <laughs> amass into some giant success story, I think for, for somebody one of these days. And, you know, it's funny because, there's also that stigma that like, you know, oh, you just can't do anything in the app store. It's too saturated. It's it's done. But I feel like there's a little bit of a renaissance, if I do say so myself, from indie developers putting out stuff that's like kind of sticking and working and, and having some success, uh, you know, and and, and again, and whatever success looks like to you, I'm definitely not uh, quitting my day job at, at Buffer, nor would I want to anyways, <laughs> from Spinstack's income. Uh, but uh 
you know, it's to me, it's been successful and it's been so fun to make. And I feel like there's a lot of encouraging uh, uh, results like that happening within the uh, iOS developer community lately. Yeah, I think we're over trying to uh, repeat the gold rush era. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the bottom line is like there's just room for great apps and there always will be Um, because sooner or later, even if there's established players like uh, I mean, the white noise market was has been around since the advent of the app store, right? Like the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So dark noise is a perfect example of that. Like there's room for someone to come in and, and make something that's just really well built. And I think for me, that's the thing I'm most passionate about when it comes to iOS development. Like I really just want to build something that's really good um, and would, would make like Apple proud. And it's, it's kind of silly to say it out loud, but like, you know, some people, they want to make money and build like a great product and do product market fit. And that, and that's great. Um, but it's just like, not really what I'm doing. Um, because if I was, I'd be hopping on the mountain of feature requests I have and moving towards those, which to be fair, I am doing a lot of those right now, uh, to make it a better product. But above all else, like, I just want it to be an example of if someone's like, what's an app that's just done really good. And for them to think of spin stack. I mean, and like you said, I have those North star apps where I think of that now, like, uh, things three is definitely one of them. Uh, you know, IA rider. Yeah. Things playing around with your app. It, it makes me think of things a lot. I mean, granted it's a, it's a list app as well, but yeah, it's that like almost obnoxious level of polish. Like every <laughs> single thing that you do, like this is probably not a normal person, but as a developer, it almost makes me angry. Cause you're like, ah, oh, he did that. Like, goodness me. Like, I don't have time for that. You know, I know what you mean. I know exactly what it, you mean. And that's what things is like, but in my head, things I don't associate with a person I think of as like a big team. And so every time I open your app to use as like a, a sort of example or like, how did he solve this design problem? I'm always like almost frustrated. Cause I'm like, I can't, I just don't have time for that. Like, good night. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, don't feel bad because I took like five years. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it really is. It's just like part of the reason that I was so excited about about doing iOS stuff and getting to do a side project uh, in this space was unlike a real jobby job, uh, you can make choices that aren't necessarily the most business sense. And you're sort of allowed to care about all of the things that you care about. Oh, absolutely. Even if they don't really matter to the customer or the user or whatever. And, I, and that's weird to say. And if you're building a business, you should have that mindset. Um, although allow yourself to have some indulgences every once in a while. But when it's a total side project, it you just get to indulge yourself for all of the little nice things that you have, you can make a animated icon for every single uh, sound in your white noise app, even though I love that, by the way, that's a great touch. I thought that was going to be like, people would just think it's dumb. And when I mentioned it to a lot of people, they're just like, that's going to take you forever. I'm like, yeah, but like, that's kind of the point is it's an excuse for me to get to do this stuff. Right. Absolutely. But whenever people like you do that, it, (laughs) it gets to like, get people excited you know whenever you open it it's it's really delightful to use and did that have the roi was it really worth it in terms of time spent and money that you get out of sales maybe not but it it's something that's really fun for people to look at and what i think is really cool and i can definitely say this about your app is it affects the ecosystem as a whole like your app the work that you did not only made your users happy but like affected decisions that i made And it's cool to think that maybe there's people that are playing around with my app and using that as an example for what they do. And like you sort of have this actual, you know, little dent in the universe in Apple parlance for the work that you do. And that's that's just like super exciting. 
Oh, it, it's a blast. Yeah. And, and you're totally right about that because it's funny you mentioned that point because I just tweeted something similar yesterday morning. Like, hey, you know, I, like, I don't know if maybe one of these things I took a lot of time on is like the thing that pushed it over the edge to, you know, get noticed by Apple or by users. And the point you made about like the animated icons when you choose a, uh, a noise and dark noise, I, I read about that, I think, in every review that I read of yeah. Dark Noise. Because, you know, like I was doing, I was like, oh, cool. Who car, uh, he got a ton of coverage. Like maybe these are some people I could reach out to. So, you know, I was reading through some of the reviews and all of them mentioned that. So it's like, you never know like what that small little touch is that's going to push it over, you know, the hump, so to speak, of being covered or not being covered by people. Um, and it's just, and it's hard when you're in it because you can just have, you know, analysis paralysis and just keep going over and over of all these things that you might need to do or not need to do. Um, and again, in like Apple parlance, like saying no to things is just as important as saying yes. But, uh, yeah, indulgence is like a great word for spin stacks development. Cause that's all I did. I like overindulged in everything, <laughs> you know, like what, what's a nice little touch. Like even one of my favorites was, uh, my mom, you know, she's a little getting to that point where she needs to use glasses for, for quite a few things. And when there's accessibility sizes on in spin stack, like I made the, uh, the table view cell separators like thicker too. Cause she mentioned like they're a little too small. Uh, and so it's like small things like that, that you take the extra time on. Like you just, who's to say what's going to make it, uh, more of a success for you if you hadn't have done those things. Um, and that's what's fun about side projects. Cause you get to, you know, burn that time on it. If you want to just make a great product more so than, you know, run a business. So, you, you've mentioned like different people playing around with it beforehand. Did you run a, a sort of beta, uh, group of some sort? Did you just share it with friends? To, to kind of back up when it first released that first version, the, and this is another thing I need to put in a blog post, like the local press loved SpinStack, even though it was a bad app. Like they loved it because back in that, uh, back in that day, right? I feel old saying that, but, <laughs> uh, back in those times, like making an app was still a novelty. And so, and the community college loved it too, that I had released like an app, like, Hey, here's one of our students that learned iOS development, you know, that, that kind of angle. So like I went on lo- local rate, uh, TV stations and stuff and like showed them the app and they want to do this whole piece over it. So, uh, people locally knew about it just from that. And so when I, you know, quickly abandoned that app and went back to the cutting board, uh, my mom and Jansen, my wife had always used it throughout the years. Um, which was great feedback because, if you haven't had your mom use your app, like you absolutely should. And you can put in air quotes, whoever your mom is. Like my mom is not tech savvy. Like she has an iPhone and she knows how to use it half the time, you know, right. Um, but you give those people your app and you're going to uncover a lot of edge cases and things that don't make sense that you thought made sense. Yeah. That was, that was me with my kids. My son was uh, oh, absolutely. three years old whenever, no, four years old, whenever, uh, whenever it came out and I like was letting him play with it all the time. And they just got to where they thought of it as a game, but it was fascinating watching them navigate <laughs> awesome. the UI and like figure it out. Obviously that probably oh, wouldn't so be the good. case with a uh, money <laughs> tracking app, but yes. Now put your allowance in yeah. <laughs> little, little Charlie. It's time to time to track that stuff. But uh, other than that, my coworker Andy was the only other one that that had used it. And yeah, so I, that's another thing I would have done differently is had like an open beta period. Um, but yeah, very, very few people used it. So uh, there were a lot of blind spots in the app that I didn't figure out, uh, until I shipped it. And, and one glaring one was when I did the, uh, 
you know, side project Saturday on the Apple subreddit. Some people are like, Hey, is it going to release in my territory? And at first I just did the United States and Canada. Cause I knew like the, the sales tax thing was really important. Oh, right. Yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, whatever. I'll, I just, so I went in app store connect and popped in every territory. And when it shipped, I got like hit with several one-star reviews because there was basically logic where I formatted currency that didn't work for <laughs> non-US territories. So like people in, uh, you know, Europe couldn't really enter in anything. And it's just like, if I had a beta, that would have been something I caught right away. But instead I had to like ship an update, like in six hours the next day <laughs> when I oh, saw, man. yeah, everyone being like, Hey, this, this was great, but I can't also can't use it. Um, and you know, luckily being in the iOS development community, they're really nice if they bought your app and, you know, people reach out to you on Twitter and let you know. But the, the real like customers who don't know anything about you, like they're, they're pegging you with the one star <laughs> review pretty quick. So, uh, more of the story, indie developers out there have a beta period. It's definitely a good thing to do. And so, like you've mentioned that you were sort of surprised by how people were actually using it. They were sort of using it different than what you were expecting. What, what are the different methods that you've used to try and collect that feedback? Uh, preferably, uh, I, I assume one-star reviews aren't the way you want to hear about these things. <laughs> it is a way, not the best way, for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's a really good question. So, one, I just I just started asking people on support emails or feature request emails. Uh, I would just say, hey, you know, thanks for using the app. I'd answer whatever, you know, they asked about. And then I would just say, if you don't mind, like, can you just reply back with one or two sentences like how do you use the app um and then someone on the uh, spin stack subreddit actually asked that same question like what are your use cases like what do you use it for um and then on twitter dms i always ask that too uh, if someone reaches out about it and through you know kind of all this feedback i've gathered it's very clear that it's on a wide spectrum of use cases and so i kind of i like i said at the beginning of the show i really like that um it means it's flexible and can fit a lot of needs um but it definitely makes the product aspect difficult because um again as i mentioned i just don't know which way to lean into you know like do i let people who want to connect bank accounts do that but you know then that kind of changes the optics of what the app is right um and a little scary yeah exactly and then i keep going back and forth on like, is it a productivity app or is it a finance app? And I, <laughs> I feel like every update I, I talk myself one way or the other. So I like change it. <laughs> and so it'll go to finance and then we'll go back to productivity. Um, and I always wonder too, if that was like to my detriment, um, because like, you know, Apple asked me for the promo artwork and, and to my knowledge, it's, it's never been used. And like, you always wonder like, ah, did that like kind of hurt my chances? Cause they like wanted to use it in productivity. Then I switched it to finance. Or then they're like, okay, I'll use it in finance. Then I switch it back to productivity. So, oh, like you've changed the actual category in the app store? Yeah, like two or three times. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've swapped spin stack all over the place. You know, it's just, it's taken its app store tour on each yeah. <laughs> uh, sales category, I guess. Um, but yeah, so there's, yeah, you, you, who's to say? Uh, you never know. And in one of your posts, you had talked about sort of, making a mission statement for your app which that was something that i I didn't have it exactly as a mission statement but i did sort of similar things because because for me the whole thing was like i was playing house uh acting like i was a you know product manager or something but (laughs) that's awesome though like your post about that was really helpful to help sort of uh help me form like decisions in terms of how do you want to take things but it almost it almost sounds like since then you're sort of struggling with that specific part because of seeing the actual people who've used it, uh, using it in different ways. Yeah. It's like this existential question. Like what happens when 
the the way people use your app doesn't really line up with the app's mission statement of why you built it. Um, you know, so it's it 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 opens up a whole can of worms, and that's where people who are great at product uh, really excel. And that's, you know, one good thing about working with other people is because they can dig into that, uh, really do a lot of inform, you know, like information gathering and figuring, figure out like what's the best way to go. Um, I think, uh, Curtis Herbert had a really good post about this, or he, he must've mentioned it on independence. I think, uh, God rest his soul. I loved that show. So yeah. I see it go. But, uh, um, he basically, he was saying something like he, he had hired someone to do some like market research, more or less, uh, for slopes, uh, his app. And he found out a lot of interesting things. And, and that really got me thinking like, what would I like figure out, uh, if I really dug deep into that kind of data? You know, what, would I have a clear way to go? Um, and that's always one thing that's bothered me about SpinStack is there's just like this freedom in knowing exactly what you need to build. Um, and again, I keep going back to, to dark noise, but it's a great example. Like, if if it doesn't make your app, if adding feature X or Y doesn't make it a better like white noise app, like you kind of know, all right, well, then then I'll cut it. Uh, but for me, it's like, I don't know, does adding bake accounts make it a better app? It, it does for these people, but these other people like probably don't care. And then that would be a recurring cost. So do I have to have a subscription? I don't, really don't want a subscription. Uh, and there's all these questions. And so I think I get bogged down in that. And then I just go back to <laughs> my best in class checklist and like, yeah. all right, I'll just make the app a better iOS app. I don't know if it'll be a better product. <laughs> <laughs> no, that it's really, it's fascinating to hear you like talk through that. Cause it's like, I, I guess I do have the advantage of uh, it, with a white noise app, it's pretty clear what it needs to do. And the requests have been pretty like uh, in one voice. Like there's basically one or two main requests that almost everybody makes. And so I have an easy direction to go, at least right now. Um, once I get those, you know, we'll see where it goes. But but yeah, with something like a, a list app, I mean, I assume this is what it's like working for a big company like Apple or Google, you know, making these general uh built-in apps you're covering so many use cases it's got to be it's got to be insane to be like a product owner in in those spaces to try and figure out what is it that we're going to add and will adding that hurt you know this huge group of people or help this group of people and i guess that's probably why they generally keep their feature sets uh kind of low yeah and and that for that reason is why like there will always be an app store i feel like in a in a and room for third-party apps because you can't be all things to all people. I mean, for a lot of people, Apple Notes is going to be just fine. Reminders is going to be just fine. But for those other people, they want they want to use Bear instead of Notes, or they want to use Things instead of Reminders, or you know, Todoist, all these other different options. Um, and so you you know you can never be afraid to lean one way or the other because it's going to work for someone. Uh, but you just kind of have to figure out if that someone is the kind of people you want to serve. Um, and I just, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> so that's why I keep joking about it, but it, like, definitely that's why I keep going back to like, all right, well, I guess I'll just, uh, clean up some accessibility things or add in Siri shortcuts. <laughs> Cause I know it'll make it a better iOS app. I don't know if it's a better product, but you know, it makes me feel good. So, <laughs> but that said, uh, you know, I do have two features that like have been a very clear, like it's been a, a regular cadence of like incoming requests for like the same things. Like people want to choose a currency for their list. So I'm like, all right, no matter which way the app goes, it's always going to deal with money. So like that seems like a pretty solid win, uh, you know, so I'll get that in. And then uh, everyone also asked for like a subscription based pricing, which this is really funny. It's kind of hard to message that online because what they mean is they want a way to uh, track like a subscription cost, like their apps oh. that they have or like, you know, even like, 
their monthly bills, like DirecTV or, or whatever it is that you have, like on a subscription basis that's yeah. recurring. Because a lot of people will, whenever they subscribe, they instantly create a reminder for themselves uh, for when that's about due so they can decide whether or not to renew it or not. Exactly. Yeah. So when I'm like, yeah, uh, I'll get subscription pricing in the next update. The, like <laughs> I got like two or three DMs like, wait, spend sex going to like, subscription. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you can just track subscriptions. Like it itself is not a subscription based app. You should uh, have a subscription to unlock the subscription feature subscription. That's really meta, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, there's, there's, yep. On my way to my millions right there. Subscription for subscription pricing. It's subscriptions all the way down. Yeah, yes, all the way through. So all the way through the marketing funnel of subscriptions. But but yeah, so all, all that said, you know, it is nice to have like two clear cut things that people want. So I've been working on those and, you know, using it as excuse to uh, get Swift into the app and use Swift UI. And then I've really gone down the rabbit hole on that and it <laughs> ended up re- rewriting like a third of the app in Swift. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, that's a whole other story. So you had mentioned earlier uh, that you have a subreddit. Yes, and that that was something that you had wrote about, or maybe you like tweeted about it or something. Uh, somebody like recommended it to you, and you tried it. And I'm curious how that goes, because for me, it's been not necessarily the most effective. Um, there have been people that have used it, so you know it's worth it because it's very low cost. But I'm curious, like for you, has that been a good mechanism for like collecting user feedback? Yeah, I think it kind of. Your mileage uh, varies, obviously, with Reddit, but I think it kind of scales it linearly with, like, the number of downloads you're getting. So, like, in the very beginning, you know, when Spinstack, you know, was was being featured, it just released and, you know, had had some press. There was, like, a post in it uh, every other day. Um, and now that Spinstack, you know, has slowed down and I'm kind of just heads down making this big update and haven't really, you know, pitched any press or and, you know, won't be for a month or two. Like there's there's like one post a month in it. So it's like in the beginning, it was pretty uh, I had to check it like every day to make sure I didn't miss something. And now it's just like every now and then there's something in there. So to, to me, I feel like you'll get like the power users in there um, because half the people that download Spinstack, I'm sure, don't even know what Reddit is. Uh but the people that really want to kind of dig deep, I feel like ask feature requests in there. And it's been great for like even the historical aspect of it, because when I go back and look at feature requests, there's a lot of them in there and I can kind of go, go in and read and, you know, figure out where, where people are coming from. Because that's like one thing that I haven't figured out well at all is like how to, uh, collate all this feedback into one useful document. It's just everywhere. It's like in emails and Twitter DMs on Reddit, you yeah. know, it's like, I don't even know where it's at anymore. <laughs> So, yeah. So what do you do? I mean, obviously, being the maker of this app in particular, you are a uh, a personality type that keeps track of things. So, oh, yeah. like, I'm curious what you use for your sort of uh, task management for, for the app itself. Yeah. So I use two things in particular. One, I use reminders because it's really lightweight. Like, I have a list just for Spinstack. Of like really imme- like immediate things I need to do like and this is just the built-in iOS reminders app yeah yeah it's just like hey, I need to reply back to this person or anything with with Spinstack or like you know when when we set up the schedule for the for this podcast like I popped it in there because you know it deals with Spinstack or just fixing a bug at at, at first I use GitHub issues but I went really into the weeds with that and like assigned like release you know builds and labels and everything and I was like all right this is too much I'm not gonna wait through all this. Um, but anything beyond that, I use Notion for, for everything. And it's kind of funny because it kind of has like an, a, the, the spin stack problem to me in a way. And then in that, like it can do anything. Like if, I don't know if you've used Notion, but you can kind of make a page however you want, uh, really morph it to the 
kind of the workflow that you need. So I figured like I didn't want to have a ton of tools for SpinStack. So if I just had one where even if it wasn't like fully optimized for everything, I could put everything in it, uh, that it would work well. So I've been trying to, to be diligent about putting all the feedback that is not so much noise. And I, and I don't mean noise in, you know, uh, pejorative way. I just mean it in like, Oh, I've heard this like four or five times. Like I know right. about it already. Um, I, I try to put it all in notion and, and that's kind of what it, I, I've got right now, like a top down list. Like I need to do currencies and I need to do, um, you know, the subscription based pricing. And then after that, like here's some other feedback to look into. So I, I've been putting it in notion and it, it seems to work well. I still am not like perfectly happy with the flow, but you know, when is it ever going to be perfect? I suppose. Yeah. We're always chasing. We are. So like you, you use that to collect all of your feedback, but do you use that to track, like even before you were collecting feedback, were you using that to track, uh, what kind of features you were wanting to implement and when you were done with something or like bugs and stuff like that? Yeah. So, so at first, yeah, like I, it, it was GitHub issues, but I've just shut that down because it just grew into a monster. Uh, <laughs> and now, yeah, now I have that. So I, I have a page. I'm looking at it now. It's just it's just called like the long game. And it just has like everything that I want to do. Um, so right now I'm doing those two uh, big features that I needed to. And before that, I had like other major feature requests that people asked for, like uh, checkboxes. Like, and, and that's another funny one. I almost didn't even ship it with checkboxes at all because uh, I never used them. Um, like I just used tags in SpinStack to like move things to like, you know, to, to accomplish the same thing, but everybody wanted checkboxes. <laughs> so, uh, that was like a really, I, I think I added that like seriously four days before I shipped it. Um, which I'm glad I did because everyone uses them. Um, but yeah, like I, you know, I had that in there and that's checked off. So I like to keep it really, really, really simple in terms of like what I need to do. Um, because I get really like, like my, uh, blog post was saying all these tools I use and like, I like to be hyper organized. So I get really frazzled if like, I don't have a very clear cut path, of where I'm going next, it, it like stresses me out. Um, and I do the same thing at work at Buffer. Like I have a really like uh, concrete list of things I need to do that day or follow up on. Uh, so it just helps me work a little bit better. But um, kind of counterintuitively with that, one thing that I really rely on that works well for me is I put to do's in the app delegate. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but like anytime I open a project, that's the first thing I do is I go to the app delegate. I have a comment right at the top and it's like, this is what I was left off on. Um, so you, you build your to-do list in, uh, in code. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Is that the most programmery thing like you've ever heard of? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like if I know I'm working on these two big features, like, uh, uh, the subscription stuff and the currency thing, I, I have that in notion, but like the particulars of what I'm doing today are like in the app delegate. So like I got to the point, um, last night where I could like kind of choose a currency, uh, using the Swift UI stuff I built. And so like this morning I knew like I need to figure out a way to pass that currency back to like, you know, my underlying data model and, and apply it and all that stuff. So I don't know why the app delegate stuff, it, it really, <laughs> I, I love it. I've done it ever since I've programmed in iOS. Uh, huh. yeah. And then your to-do list is source controlled the ultimate goal <laughs> exactly and it's funny because sometimes i forget to <laughs> i forget to like delete them so i'll have like to do's from like two months ago on some like header file in buffer or in spin stack i'm like oh yeah that, that i guess that's done <laughs> so uh so the actual launch itself then uh it seemed like it went pretty good like like i said i this is how i found out about you i think is uh maybe an article in 95 mac or something like that so how did how did the actual launch itself go yeah, the launch was, it's so fun. Like, that's something you always remember. Like, I, it's just so fun seeing someone launch an app, 
because uh, you know you have like the butterflies the night before you never know how it's really going to go um and i joked with people before like i've I've had my heart broke by the app store tons of times so it's like i wasn't really expecting much of anything um but yeah in in my mind it went it went well it charted it got i think uh 200 downloads the first day um and for me that was like that was really good um that from it, it made me feel like all right so people will pay money for this and i can still like take my time and build like the app that i want um and even more so than the launch i think what's been great about spinstack is like it still sells you know like you you, you never know like uh seven months eight months later like is it just going to trickle off and do what everyone says will happen to your app and just go to a slow death in the app store and you know be forgotten about uh but it's it's had life after the launch and that's been really encouraging and you know helps me keep building and keep improving it and keep doing better um but one kind of funny thing with the launch is we went on a family vacation the next week. And so like I was getting inundated with emails and like, you know, Apple asked for the, the promo art, all the stuff while I was on vacation. <laughs> so uh pro tip, don't launch your app right before a family vacation. <laughs> I probably won't do that again. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like that would be, you would not be able to keep it out of your mind. Oh yeah. It was bad. Like I, once everyone went to bed, then I just, you know, crack open my iPad and try and get through all the emails and try and get like the feedback. And, uh, you know, luckily now that it's in, uh, kind of been out in the app store a while, I only get like a few support emails a week. So it's like really manageable. But, but at that time, right when it launched, it was like, you know, 20 or 30 a day. So I was like, Oh my goodness, this feels like I have like two jobs right now. Now it, it's interesting. Like you mentioned this in your post and it was kind of influential, uh, in some choices that I made too. One of the reasons you decided to go just straight paid up front was for that exact reason, right? You wanted to almost put a artificial barrier on entry to the app so that you as an indie dev aren't getting just completely overwhelmed with support e- emails because if it was free with some sort of, you know, in-app purchase or whatever, then every single person that downloads the free one potentially is a person who's going to send a support question. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And, and that was my thinking there is like, so if you, if you just do some back of the napkin math, like you can pretty safely say you would 10 X your downloads if you went free. Um, so, you know, you do 200, you know, times 10 and then the 30 emails I was getting a day times 10, that's potentially what, you know, like 300 emails. Like I just, there's no way I can manage that. Um, and you know, some people that works really well for them and they kind of optimize and plan for that. And that's their, their model is they want to get a ton of volume and, you know, get subscription, uh, you know, base revenue and, and that works for them. But for me, I was really like, this is like a, uh, kind of like a, a purist app, you know, it's not going to be for everyone. It's kind of a narrow use case and I cannot support like the people that are just going to download it to use it as like a list app or make it or want it to go in a different direction that I don't want it to go. Um, and so the thinking was like, if people bought the app, like they're invested in it already, cause it's hard to get someone to buy an app. Like, and I'm sure you know this too, like more than ever, people aren't going to plunk down money unless they feel really drawn to, to what the app is and the problem that's going to solve for them. Because, you know, once you get past the people that are just super nice on Twitter and bought your app just to support you or to check it out, uh, you get to the real customers and, you know, and that's when it's like, this is an actual product that they paid for, even though it's like your pet project, like they paid money for it. So you want to take care of them. And, uh, you know, that's something I really learned a lot at Buffer is we have such a high emphasis on treating customers well and having like best in class support. It kind of influenced my decision making on on the uh, monetization because they were already invested in SpinStack if they paid money for it. And, you know, they want to see it do well and see it succeed and I'll have less downloads. And that's fine with me because I would just want to make a really great app more than anything, you know, uh, 
tech pays well, Buffer pays me well, and our pay is transparent. So, you know, <laughs> that's the first thing people do usually is they go in our Google Docs spreadsheet and see how much everyone makes. But it's just like, you know, I didn't, I didn't really need the money, but I wanted to make money to know that people cared about it, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, going paid up front was really a great decision. I'll probably do it again if I release another app and, you know, on my timeline 17 years from now. <laughs> And uh, well, post-launch, uh, th- you've had some validation of your best-in-class uh, app ideals because just recently Apple reached out and maybe even by now has already put uh, a demo version of your app on iPhones like in their stores or at least in Best Buy stores confirmed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what a cool thing for me, you know, that was because that was like the validation and that you know, again, my biggest goal was like, I wanted to make an app like that Apple would be proud of. And obviously if, if they chose it for, uh, you know, a retail demo, then they thought it was a good app and would, cause they care about selling iPhones, right? They don't really care about spin stack at the end of the day. And maybe it's kind of harsh to say it that way. I mean, they care about any developers, but they want to put something on there. That's like representative of the platform, right? The person making the decision is not a indie platform, uh, promoter person. It's somebody whose job is to make the iPhone look good. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, that's, that's what happened. They reached out for a, uh, a retail demo and I'm, I've been meaning to write a post about this, but, uh, I'm juggling the, the update and trying to finish up a conference talk, you know, you know, the classic indie dev stuff. So, yeah. um, but yeah, in, in, in typical Apple fashion, <laughs> I had no idea if it was like a promo art thing, like they ask for it and it may not be used or when it was going to be released. I, I knew nothing. And so I kind of reached out to a few other devs who had, had been through it and they, they kind of gave me a rough timeline of when they saw their app pop up, but they all said the same thing. Like you have no idea what territory it's going to be in. So like when I tweeted about it, part of it was like a little bit of uh, strategy and that like, if someone saw it, I figured they would tell me (laughs) because I don't live by an Apple store. So I have no way of knowing, but yeah, just last week I, I popped into Best Buy, uh, you know, and checked and, and there it was. So I, I asked like the employees too, like, Hey, do you know, like when this updated? And they're like, I think like a few, few days ago. So I guess it was recent, but it was, it was really fun. You know, I, I took like a selfie by the phone and they're like, Oh, Hey, you know, you want me to tell you about the, the iPhone? You got the questions? <laughs> I was like, Oh no, dude, my app's on this. And they're like, and, and it was really fun. They thought it was so cool. They asked a ton of questions. And then afterwards, like me and my wife took a picture outside of Best Buy and someone snapped it for us because they saw we were trying to take a selfie. <laughs> and as someone was walking by, they go, oh, my goodness, did you all just get engaged? You know, because we had a big <laughs> smile on our face, you know, and I was like, oh, no, my app's like on the phones in there. And they're like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I didn't even finish the <laughs> sentence. They just walked away and looked at me really weird. <laughs> but uh yeah, so. Uh, long story short, I, I have no idea like the spread of it. I mean, it could be all over the US. It could be all over the world. I, I have no clue, but it seems to be consistently at Best Buy um, and no clue about the Apple stores. So I guess I'll have to make my pilgrimage up to St. Louis and we'll have to go check it out. Yeah, there you go. We got two you can try. So <laughs> I know you guys are living at large up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Th- that's just like it's so cool. And it's kind of similar to the App Store promotional stuff where um you know, you'll just get an email out of the blue that's like, your app has been selected as a great example of blah, 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 you know, and they might ask for some, you know, assets or like images or whatever. And then you it's a black box, you have no idea if that's going to get used or not. And I know, like, a lot of times it you won't get selected or they won't use your stuff, or maybe they will, but you have no idea because it's in a region that you don't know about. And, uh, and there's some tools you can use to like track that stuff. But I think it's important to like, 
that feeling that you get when you get that email, that feeling is like very real. Like if they picked you, oh yeah, that is a validation that like you did something at least to a certain level of quality that the people whose jobs it is to you know make the app store look good and and sell things on the app store they thought it was worth at least considering and like that's just i don't know that's just such a cool feeling and it's cool that like we have this type of stuff it's not like you know if you're building a website or something and maybe you'll get on some newsletters or something but we have this like very tangible uh app store with people whose jobs it is to troll through it and find the good stuff and if you get sort of plucked out of that it's really validating Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it feels like winning the lottery, you know, because it's like the, that's what you work so hard on. And, you know, you want people to like and you want to, you know, you want to make an impressive, you know, piece of software. And and that's a validation. And, you know, I, I try not to like it, it's funny. My wife always jokes like you're never proud of yourself. Like you never like think that something's good enough in the stuff that you do. Um, but she said, finally, when you, when you walked into Best Buy and saw your app, like I could tell, like you were, you were finally proud. Like it was, it was like, it is finished kind of a thing. Like you, you did it. You like spin stacks good now. And I was like, yeah, I mean, in a way that, that, that was how I felt, you know? Um, cause the, the promo art's such a funny one too. Cause it's like, it's great that you got selected and, and it means they think your app is good, but it's just that unknown. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And, um, or if they're going to use your art or, or, or what, what it's going to be like. And actually I'm curious, did the art that you had for the app of the day, was that the art that you submitted to them or did they kind of take it and change it a little bit? So for the app of the day in particular, they ask for like a PSD Photoshop file that you have all of your elements sort of broken up so that they can put it together how they want. Ah, oh, interesting. So, cause there was another one, there was the one for the banner. You know, if you go to the apps tab at the top, there's sort of the rectangular banners. Right. Yeah. That's the one they asked me for. And that one, I think, uh, I don't remember if I got used for that, but that one, they use your actual art. Like it's still a Photoshop file so they can manipulate it, but they're asking for specific dimensions and all this stuff. But the, the app of the day one, um, they used the elements that I gave, but I've talked to people that like, they just completely made like Apple team just completely made their own art all on their own. Um, so I, I think it's sort of a mixed bag because they're sort of designing a today tab in, in aggregate, I think um, like the whole thing at once. So they kind of wanted to match with the elements above and below it and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's the thing. That's the thing about all this. And honestly, uh, it's a thing I'm starting to feel on the other end running this podcast is you know, before, before this podcast, before I started it, I reached out to a whole bunch of people being like, Hey, would you be interested in coming on this show? Because I was afraid I was going to start it. And then I wouldn't be able to get anybody to come on. So I didn't want to start it unless I knew I had like a couple months worth. And then I could, you know, the, the podcast could slowly wither away if nobody would agree to come on. But, but since then, lots of people uh, have been interested. And I set up like a forum where lots of people can sort of apply to come on. And a lot of people will reach out and be like, Hey, would you, you know, would you consider having me on? I don't know if you're looking for people. And it's sort of weird because a lot of times it's like the person who reaches out, I'm extremely excited about, and I would love to bring on, but because of how I'm trying to, uh, sort of curate the show guests, it, there's not like a slot, you know, or it wouldn't be for so long that their app would be way out of, uh, like it'd be really old and, and maybe it would make sense then, but maybe there's going to be new stuff at that point. And so, I'm sort of feeling the other side where it's like, even if somebody is extremely a perfect fit and you know, they would be an amazing guest or whatever. 
it just might not work out for the editorial decisions that I happen to have already made and I've painted myself in a corner and I can't get them in. Oh, yeah. But like the other person doesn't see that. Totally. And so it, it, I think it's the same thing with all this promotional stuff or or like what apps they're choosing to put, you know, in their stores. Like there might be another uh, list app that's extremely good that they would love to have, but you know, they picked yours for some reasons and this other one, even though it's good, they don't want to put that right next to yours because then it's like, there's two apps that are kind of the same. And so they'd rather pick a drawing app yeah, or something like that. And so there's all sorts of editorial decisions that go into all this as well that we're like completely blind to. Yeah. And I think the biggest like help with that is like, you just like never take it personal with the app store, you know, cause there are humans on the other side of the, the fence too. I know like we always joke about it being a black box, what, you know, which it is, but it's like, you know, someone inside the app store, I'm sure wants to like be more transparent, but there's rules and regs that I'm sure they have to follow. But when I thought about it, like, you know, I was I at first really bummed about like the app store uh, promo stuff. Like, yes, this is great. That's going to be a great way to, to, to kind of boost things after the launch. And like to the, to this date as far as i know it's never been used but when i really thought about it like in a realistic way i was like okay so they like the app obviously they think it's a good app but if you go and you thumb through all the sections in productivity or all the sections in finance like where does it fit like where do they put it because it kind of maybe they're thinking the same thing i am about spinstack like with the product problem like who is it for like i we don't really know how to to push this or market it and so when you kind of look at things that way and humanize the whole process um it makes a little bit more sense and i'm kind of learning the ins and outs of how to deal with uh the app store in a good way because it's like you know all of us want to be featured we all want to get you know editor's choice and all these things but you kind of have to play to them a little bit and figure out how to get those things accomplished and just also realize that like, you know, they're doing the best they can too. They get thousands of submissions a day. Um, and really, I think one thing that helped was when I talked to a lot of them at WWDC during the lab, uh, they were all so kind and so nice. And they, they kind of gave you a little bit of the inside baseball on, on how things work. And when I stopped to think about that, I'm like, okay, so it makes sense that they ask for promo art and that's good. Um, and it also makes sense why they probably haven't used it yet. Cause maybe they just don't know where to put it, you know, cause I haven't really leaned one way or the other in a product direction. Um, so yeah, just never taking those things personal and just keep pushing on and trying, uh, whether you're trying to get on a podcast or trying to get a feature, uh, you know, things generally work out after you, uh, just have perseverance, I think more than anything else. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the press. Like, uh, speaking of Curtis, like he, he brought this up a lot on the independence podcast where, you know, he has slopes, which is a skiing app. And he always like does like a sort of press thing where he emails everybody and everything, but he knows like for most of the people in the Apple press, uh, snowboarding and skiing aren't like major activities for all their readers. So it doesn't necessarily make editorial sense for them to write up a big thing compared to, you know, a white noise app or a productivity app or something like that. And so it's hard. Like, even if they think this is like really well done, it's amazing. If it doesn't make editorial sense, it's work for them to write this thing. So like they're going to end up going in another direction and it's hard to not take these things personally. But, uh, but if you can humanize it, like you're saying it, which is hard to do with, uh, the Apple black box, but oh sure, yeah, certainly meeting people. And it's cool that a lot of Apple employees are a little more accessible on Twitter now than they used to be. I feel like, no, I'd love that. Yeah. It, it definitely humanizes the, the feeling you get whenever, you know, you're angry at an API or you're like, why would this work this way? Whenever you think about 
one of the people that you know works on that you know even if you can't talk to them about that specific thing you know that this is a person you know that they're smart and there's probably a reason for that it's not just you know this person was dumb or (laughs) it's a personal vendetta against me oh absolutely yeah and and a recurring theme in my marriage is my wife always gives me really good perspective. And like, you know, I was kind of complaining a little bit, like after vacation, I was like, you know, like I took the time out of my vacation to get this promo art together. I pinged a designer, you know, I paid for it. Like, you know, I spent money. I did all this stuff. And like, for what? Like, just like, I was just kind of like complaining. Like, I wish they just don't waste my time. Like, if you're not going to use it, like, it's fine. Just don't even bother me. And she's like, Jordan, like you're, you're looking at it wrong. Like they thought it was good enough to, to find a fit for it at some point. And who's to say when it'll be like, it's not, it's not like something where they just wanted to waste your time. It's like, they thought your app was good and they're maybe they'll find a use for it. Maybe not. Um, but and that's just the way you have to look at it. Um, it's so easy to look at the, uh, you know, the negative aspects of those kinds of things. But, um, in, in the book, I really love, uh, how to win friends and influence people. There's like a whole chapter about like what's in it for the other person. And like, that's a good way to think about the press or, you know, the app store features, like what can I give them that will make their job easier? Um, and you know, maybe SpinStack didn't make their job easier at that point. So if I was them, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have used it either, but you know, they have the promo art laying around. So if there's a fit, then they'll use it. And if not, you know, no harm done. Yeah. And I, I obviously it sucks for you, but I kind of love that that happened to you and that you've been so public about it, uh, you know, because like we all know that spin stack is great. And then you have this validation even from, you know, internal and Apple now that they're literally featuring you in their stores or at least best buys, uh, on their, you know, demo devices. And so whenever something like that happens to us, it's kind of like, you can remind yourself like, Oh yeah, like this, this super great app that we all know and agree. And even Apple agrees is great. Didn't fit for this one thing. Uh, at least not yet. And so that doesn't mean it's not like some sort of, uh, indictment on me or my app or the work that I've done. Absolutely. And then that's why it's so great to share those things too, because it kind of can be a little uh, drop of encouragement to someone else, maybe going through the same kind of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I'm getting, getting low on time here. So I'm going to ask you the question that I, that I ask everybody, which is what's a person or a team out there that's inspired you that you recommend others follow. And you, you've kind of used the term North star apps for the apps that you follow. And so maybe this is like your, your North star people, <laughs> North star people. I, lo- I love it. That's a great term. Uh, yeah, I think for me, one, like if, if I would choose one that was like in our industry, I'd probably say like Brent Simmons is, is a really good one. Uh, I've always kind of like admired his work from afar and kind of how he carries himself and how he thinks about, uh, you know, software. Um, he's, he's someone who's been in it for a long time. Um, and not that I mean to call Brent old, but it's one thing that I always think about is like, yeah, you know, I always want to be a programmer in my career. Like I don't want to go on to be a, uh, you know, engineering manager or something like that. Like I always want to be a developer and Brent did that for so long. Um, and I know his role now at, uh, the Omni group, I think he does marketing, but you know, very much by choice. Uh, so he's someone that I've always thought like, that's a good person to follow and figure out how they, what, what steps they took to have a successful career. Um, and even more than that, he has a very opinionated in a good way, uh, thought process about what makes a great Mac OS app and kind of in the same way that I have a lot of opinions on what makes a good iOS app. So I've always like really listened to anything he said about Mac apps, uh, because I, obviously I want to really spin stock on every Apple platform is the plan. And when it comes time to do like a Mac OS app, I feel like his, uh, thoughts and opinions on uh mac os app would would be like my best in class 
uh, version for, for the Mac. So, uh, and, and you can see it too. And NetNewsWire, his open source project, it's really well done on the Mac and on iOS. Uh, and it's open source too, which is even better. So I can go in there and kind of poke around and see how, uh, AppKit works. Um, because spoiler alert, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> we're all just waiting for that catalyst to uh, mature a little bit. Oh, yeah. I don't, that, yeah, we could, we could really get into the weeds with that topic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I had Vidit on, uh, last episode and he's, he seems to be the guy who's really perfected, uh, catalyst Mac apps. Yeah, he's he's the one that's done really, really, really well with it. Um, and, I mean, not the one. There's others too, but yeah, he did a phenomenal job. Um, but yeah, I love that kind of. Uh, I love when people kind of make opinionated software in a way, and I feel like Brent does that. And so definitely, uh, and he was great in the app story too. Um, I think that's the name of that documentary. Ish Ish was in it as well. Yeah, um, that I watched that like. I gave myself like a night off, like the week before I released Dark Noise. Actually, it may have been after I submitted the like 1.0 build. Um, I kind of just gave myself a night off and I had that in my queue for forever. And it was cool because uh, like I've mentioned before, I'm somewhat new to this sort of uh, world, at least on the developer side. And so I didn't know who a lot of those people were. And, you know, right after that came out and then my app came out, and I'm like starting to hear from ish or see Brent Simmons talking about something related to what I'm doing. It's like, whoa, like these are, you know, in my head, it's like, these are the superstars, right? Like <laughs> it's great, isn't it? It's a really well done documentary. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I think, I think Brent's a, a good guy who's done a lot in the industry. So uh, one of these days I hope to catch him at a dub dub or something and, and, and kind of learn his uh, secrets. But uh, yeah, I think that'd be my pick. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And like, kind of like what you're saying, he's been around for a long time. And the thing that I find really encouraging about him is he's because he shifted into going from being an indie into working for another company and doing like marketing um, and still thriving and able to now, you know, bring net newswire back as an open source project. So he's still doing development work uh, on the side and is happy doing that. Like, I don't know, it, it sort of shows that you can, you can maybe fluidly move between these two worlds a little bit, um, which is definitely encouraging. Yeah. And I think one of the big, like one huge influence he's had on me is he's seen like big transitions before and has kind of come out on the other side because yeah, uh, yeah. I know we're short in time, but like when, when Swift UI got announced, like my first, uh, you know, emotion like wasn't excitement. It was like stress. It was like, I'm, I'm good at UI kit. Like I know it so well. Like now I feel <laughs> like I'm starting over. And, you know, Brent had like a good, like kind of analogy of how they went from like, you know, classic Mac OS and the carbon APIs to port over your, your apps, you know, over to Coco and things like that. And he basically was saying like, these shifts just happen in our job. Like, and you know, that's just part of it. And I was like, you know what? This is normal. This is fine. Uh, and you know, now here I am, uh, loving me some Swift UI. So, uh, lots of good lessons to take. That's funny. Cause I, I was like, uh, <laughs> that was like the top of my, we're not actually going to get this, uh, wish list item for WWDC was some sort of declarative UI framework because coming from, you know, a whole bunch of other different ecosystems that I've written software for coming into iOS world where everything is imperative, uh, for the UI was, it felt so weird. Like I was going back in time to, you know, old like CS classes where I'm writing win forms or something. Ah, the win forms, which I've come to like love UI kit. Like <laughs> it's funny, like in a year I went from like 
ah, they just need to switch this all over to some sort of declarative UI framework to like, now I'm like leery of Swift UI. So I don't, <laughs> somehow I've already become the curmudgeonly old man, but uh, we, we've oscillated. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah. Whenever you've like uh, taken the hard hits and learned the hard lessons and you sort of learn to wrangle this beast that is UI kit, you then get a little Stockholm syndrome and go to love it a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I, and that's where I'm at right now. I, I adore UI kit. Um, and you know, there's just a level of familiar, familiarity. There's my podcast word. I cannot say it's familiar. <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, but yeah, Swift UI is going to be great. I'm, I'm not going to fight it. I just now moved to Swift, you know, this year. Uh, so I'm embracing all the new toys, I guess. Awesome. Well, uh, so speaking of moving to new things, uh, your blog where people can read all of your writing, which there's a lot of, and it's extremely good, is, uh, sw- uh I can't say that a lot. Swift Jectivity. <laughs> Wow, there's my podcast word. I I picked literally the worst donate domain name ever. Uh, but it reads well. Yeah, it does. It's Swift and Objective C mashed together, so it's SwiftJectiveC.com. There you go. And that that is like your your sort of mindset, right? Was like you were an Objective C guy that uh, has sort of willingly moved into the Swift world, and you kind of have both uh, contexts with you. Yeah, yeah, and that's why like I chose the domain name because I knew I'd be writing a, a bit about both. And uh, you know, the domain name was actually cheap. There weren't a lot of people out there uh, begging for SwiftJectiveC.com. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't have to fight for it. Uh, and then where else can uh, people find you? Yeah, uh, Twitter at Jordan Morganton, and then of course Spinstacks on the App Store under Spinstack. Uh, but yeah, other than that, Twitter and the website for sure. And if if you love Xbox gaming, my gamer tag is Live Forever seven seven seven. I'm 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 rocking that Apex Legends all the time. So <laughs> nice. anybody wants to get uh, to play with someone who's really bad but enjoys it, you know, I'm I'm your man. And uh, you're a little bit of a conference speaker, which I wanted to talk about, but we we kind of ran out of time. So you're you're doing some sort of conference uh, here in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, it's called Method Conference. It's actually Springfield's like first tech conference. So I'm really excited about it to, to kind of kick it off. And of, of all things, I'll be uh, talking about Swift UI. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on and a uh, little inside baseball. I, <laughs> I got pretty sick last week where I totally lost my voice. And so I kind of have been uh, uh, throwing you off in terms of scheduling, but you, you made it work. So I really appreciate it. Oh, for sure. Any, anytime, man. I was happy to come on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. You can also discuss the episode with me, other listeners, and sometimes our guests on our dedicated subreddit r slash launched FM. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple podcasts, overcast breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched FM.com. <laughs>